Hello, sword people. Welcome to the Sword Guy podcast. This is your host, Dr. Guy Windsor, consulting swordsman, teacher, and writer. Join me for interviews with historical martial arts instructors and experts from a wide range of related disciplines as we discuss swords, history, training, and bringing the joy of historical martial arts into our modern lives. The episode show notes are at swordschool.com forward slash podcast, where you'll find transcriptions, photos, videos, and links for this episode. While you are there, you can sign up for my mailing list and I'll send you a free copy of my Sword Persons Care Package. This includes four ebooks and access to several of my online courses. My newsletter goes out every week with updates about the podcast, my works in progress, and all sorts of cool sword stuff. You can unsubscribe at any time and there's never any spam. Before we get on with the show, I'd like to thank the people who make it possible, my patrons on Patreon. It takes time and money to run a podcast, and without them, I'd have quit long ago. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash the sword guy for behind the scenes content to suggest future guests and priority access to my inbox. That's patreon.com forward slash the sword guy. I'd also like to thank Andrew Lawrence King for the Baroque harp accents that adorn the show originally recorded for my Paradoxes of Defense audiobook project. And finally, as a sword person, let me invite you to my online community, swordpeople.com, where you can interact with all sorts of people who are into historical martial arts in one way or another, without trolls, ads, algorithms, or Russian sex bots getting in the way. It's built on the Mighty Networks platform, which means we are paying for hosting and the use of their software, servers, and tech support, so we are the customers. We are not handing over our data to be sold to commercial interests, and so there is no incentive for algorithm-driven fear-mongering to maximize time on the platform. It's as pure as social media can be. There are four levels of membership. Free, this gives you access to the main discussion areas and events, etc. Or, at £5 a month, you can join Support Sword People, which gives you access to all of the above, plus the satisfaction of helping to support the platform, and access to live streams and my train-along sessions. Then there's the Solo Scholars at £20 a month, which gives you access to all of the above, plus all of my online courses that can be done alone, which are solo training, footwork, breathing, meditation, and recreating historical swordsmanship from historical sources. And finally, there is the Mastering the Art of Arms level at £40 a month, which gives you access to all of the above, plus all of my online courses, such as the Complete Longsword Course, Complete Rapier, Medieval Sword and Buckler, and How to Teach. There are no paid ads, no paid promotions, nothing like that, which means we are entirely dependent on the users of the platform to pay for it, so if you're thinking about joining, please do consider one of the paid options. So, if you'd like to join us and think you can behave yourself like a reasonable adult, because the code of conduct is absolute and enforced with an iron hand, which is why it's such a nice place to spend time, go to swordpeople.com and click Request to Join. It's fast, easy, and straightforward. You can get Sword People on your phone or other device by downloading the Mighty Networks app and signing in. Now, without further ado, on with the interview. Welcome to this special behind-the-scenes episode of the Sword Guy podcast. I'm here today with Katie McKenzie, who is the organizing principal behind the show, as well as an author's assistant, assistant par excellence. It would be great if I was better at pronouncing things on this audio show. And she is an author herself of the very approachable Easy Fitness for Quitters, How to Become a Happy Exerciser. So without further ado, Katie, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And whereabouts in the world are you, Katie? 
I'm about two metres away from you in your study. This <laughs> is your first in-person interview. That's right. Here it's in, a great honour. <laughs> here in lovely Ipswich yes. in the UK. Brilliant. Okay. Now, I ask a lot of my guests this. Um, I'm expecting a slightly different answer than usual. So, how did you get into historical martial arts, Casey? Um, I am not and have never been into historical martial arts. That's your story and you're sticking to it. <laughs> yes, that's it. Yep, no, I am I'm only a theoretical sort of person. Okay, <laughs> so um, everything you know about historical martial arts pretty much has come from hanging out with me mm-hmm. and uh, doing transcriptions for the show. Is that a fair statement? Yes. Okay. I mean, apart from, you know, I was big into Lord of the Rings and all those sorts of things, um, but I've never actually moved into picking up a sword and trying to hit anyone with it or stab anyone. That can be arranged. <laughs> no, that's fine. <laughs> have you ever felt like stabbing anyone? No, no. I'm, I really have no desire to have anyone run at me with something sharp and pointy, and I don't want to... Do it to anyone else? No, no. Completely. In the wider world, that makes you normal, but in, in this community, that makes you an outlier. I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what exactly do you do for the show? I do a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff. So what happens is I get the audio file from you, and then I do the transcription, and I schedule the episode, write the show notes, come up with a snappy title, um, and just make sure that it goes out on time every Friday morning. Yeah, because I am not gifted at the whole scheduling regularly stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so, um, all right, I, I, while I got you here, I should actually probably ask, what is your favourite thing about working on this show? Working with you, of course. <laughs> now, Katie, you're supposed to tell the truth. <laughs> so I'm telling the truth. Um, no, it's, it's been incredibly interesting okay. for me because um, my previous career before this was um, as a director of a small charity social enterprise working with new parents. So I've moved from knowing a lot about babies to knowing a lot about swords. Right. Which is really, you know, it's... Um, There's not a lot of difference. Really. Oh, I mean, you have to clean swords, like you have to clean babies. You don't have to feed swords, though. I think the, the sword world is probably less fraught. And yeah? And really? Oh, yeah. Less fraught, less political. Than, yeah, than looking after babies. Coping, okay. Coping with new parenthood. That, from experience, is definitely um, intense. Mm. Uh, okay, so I can see that swords are, swords are less sort of um, emotionally impactful to the person doing them than, than babies. So there's, there's, I guess there's, the stakes are lower. I would say so. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, yeah, so I really enjoyed learning um, about this whole new world that I didn't know anything about before, really, other than what I'd known from chatting to you about it. Okay. So, all right, I, I, I should ask, what is the absolute worst thing <laughs> about working for me? Be honest, Katie. I can take it. I think for me, because I'm doing the transcription every week, and I am listening to it in far more detail than anybody else, I get to know what you're going to say next. Ah, I am predictable. Yeah. As soon as you say, I'm a woodworker, 
Oh god. I learned to fly. Oh god. I'm like, here we go. Here we go again. Here we go again. So, yeah, fair. Um, and the, the transcription software we use called Trint is brilliant. I mean, it's amazing that it, it listens to all the audio and then it takes, you know, the little robots inside say, oh, what's Guy saying now? And they, they sort of make a decent stab at what everybody's saying. Um, but it does come up with some absolute crackers, okay. which um, I then have to try and sort out. So I do a lot of Googling, okay. a lot of, what is that Italian word that someone's saying with an American accent or an Australian accent, and I'm trying to get to the bottom of what the word actually is before I can then Google it and yeah. try and work it out. Um, so some of the episodes, some of the transcriptions go back with a lot of highlighted red pen on sort of saying what is this so, but in the beginning every episode had at least had loads. a dozen like requests for clarification from me mm. and these days maybe one episode in three might have two or three is that the software getting better or is that you getting better it's both uh, okay. mainly me i think um but uh, I've, I've made a little quiz for you okay okay so <laughs> this is called what did you say and um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you what Trent thought you said. Yes. And then you have to try and work out what you actually said. Okay. Okay. That's so fair. The first one, this is a recent one. This is from your interview with Ian Davis. Okay. And you're talking about a Vadi technique. Okay. So which technique is this, right? The section at the end, yeah? Particularly dagger venereal potato. <laughs> dagger venereal potato. Um... I mean, there is dagger versus sword at the end of Vadi. Um, so I would guess that that's where the V comes in. Dagger versus something. Dagger versus sword? No. What, I, what was it? I have to say, I don't actually know. What okay. it? But, <laughs> I um, need what to see it in context. What it okay. sounded like was partito di dagger finere del partito. Oh, partito di dagger finere del partito. That's what the text says in, in, in Vadi, which is yes. um, dagger technique. End of technique. Right. Right. So, yeah, that's that's Italian. Okay, so I was, I, was, I was trying to work it out in English. Sorry, no, that one was... That, that was, was Italian. Kind of Italian, okay. which um, Trent... Which Trent really, failed. Really failed. It's probably my Italian accent, because that's not No, it not doesn't great. It doesn't know any Italian. Ah. It doesn't know any German, oh. any, especially Japanese. Oh, God. Or Korean, when you get the, the terminology of... Well, I have just interviewed um, someone in Taiwan. So that's going to be super fun for you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, the next one is from your episode called Talking Tempo with Guy and Cornelius. Oh, right, that should be fun. So yeah, you know what's coming with this. There's a lot of technical language for poor old Trent. Yeah, a lot of Italian. So here's just one choice example from that episode. So, for example, the safe way to gain the Missouri strategy is to first ensure that you are in a strong category. Okay. Then establish the weight of your body upon the left foot. So it may not already be there in your account to God if you have to get it there before you can. Cautiously lifting the right foot, the right one, to move forward before you can pick up your fechula. Now, the pharaoh, of course, is already on the left. Um, <laughs> You're never going to get the left. Okay, okay, okay. Right, okay. Slow, start from the beginning. Okay. The safe way to gain the Missouri strategy. Okay, the Missouri strategy. Yes. Yeah, that's straightforward. Um, 
the like in, in that's the, the close or tight measure. So it may not already be there in your account to God. It may not already be there. No idea. Counter guard. Oh counter guard. Yeah. Oh it's it's fabrous, it's not it's not Capiferous fabrous, okay. I have to put on my fabrous. Oh wait though, no no. Um lifting the right foot, the right one to move forward before you can pick up your festula. Left foot, I would guess. Uh, front foot. Front foot. Now the pharaoh, of course, is already on the left. Now the pharaoh. No idea. Now with Kappa Pharaoh, of course, it is already on the left foot. Ah, right, okay. Yeah, so we're comparing Fabrus and Kappa Pharaoh. Okay, that makes sense. So it never, ever gets Kappa Pharaoh. Well, why would it? I mean... Never, no. It gets Fiore most of hmm. the time. Okay. It's learnt that one. Uh, and it never gets Hema. Hema is always humour. Right, okay. So if anyone ever reads the transcriptions and comes across well, random that, things yeah. like that, it's because I missed it. Yeah, and it is... Honestly, I don't ever use the word or the term humour either, so it's fair enough. And finally, in episode 100, when you're being interviewed by Ariel Anderson, yeah. apparently this is your governing principle. My governing principle? Your governing for principle. For what? My governing principle for what? Life. Life, okay. I think. Oh, God. Well, cer- certainly for swords. All right. You have a set of governing ideas and a way of moving them, right? And the governing principle is control your pantsuit. <laughs> control your opponent's control weapon. Control your pantsuit. Control your opponent's weapon. Yeah, opponent's sword. Opponent's sword. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's what I'm dealing with on a weekly basis. <laughs> <laughs> so this is this is by way of telling me I don't pay you enough, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um, how is the podcast doing? It's doing really well. Okay. Well, I mean, I don't. You know, I don't sort of compare it with any other podcast. Well, no, it, it is unique. Um, it stands it's alone. Completely unique. You've had uh, ninety-two thousand downloads so far. Ninety-two. Okay. So nearly a hundred thousand downloads. Well, it's more than that. Oh. I thought it was ninety-six last time I looked. Sorry, ninety-six. Oh, right, there we go. Ninety-six. I can't read. Okay. Um, well, you need to read to do a transcription. <laughs> um, Fifty-seven percent of the audience is in the US. Yeah, that makes sense. 10% UK, 6% Canada, 5% Germany and Australia, 2% Finland. Okay. Finland is actually quite well represented then. Mm. Given, given that Finland has 5 million people and the UK has 60 or 70. Yeah. And the US has, what, 350. Mm. So, okay. Yeah. Um, so if we have 150 episodes, 96,000 downloads, about 650 uh, average um, downloads per episode. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I'm guessing that weights to the earlier episodes because as people go back through and it listen, does. when people find the show, they quite often go back and listen to previous episodes. Yeah. Yeah, so the most downloaded episode of all time is Jess Finley, which is number, number one. Number one, okay. And then you've got um, Eleanor Yanagar, the first. The first Eleanor Yanagar, okay. That was early on. Mm-hmm. Kayatan Sadowski. Yeah, that's like episode four or something. Yeah, Katie Bowman. Then um, Tobias Capwell. Alright, okay. Um, he was relatively recent. Yeah. And Ruth Goodman. So those are your top six. Okay. Um, which is very, it's it's heavily weighted towards your female guests, which is obviously what yeah. the podcast was set up to do, so that's good news. Yeah. Um, and then in, so last year the most downloaded was um, a whole lot of Tasty Bolognese with Josh Reese. Okay. Yeah. I think people really do like the deep dive technical nerdery 
episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because Talking Tempo was in was number three in 2021. Right. Yeah. Okay. So what, what you're saying is maybe we should do a series of, oh, you will love transcribing this, um, a series of episodes where it's specifically getting someone I mean, like Cornelius to nerd out on tempo or like Josh to nerd out on like one specific technical topic rather than these more general interview-like sort of... Yeah, I sort of haven't gone into that mostly because the overall goal of the show is to get lots of different kinds of people on the show and you know, how they came to historical martial arts and their sort of more general practice stuff is more in line with the overall goals of the show than like deep dive technical nerdery. But clearly there's space for that. Okay, I did have a, a think about who I should get on to discuss something like, I don't know, weight placement in Maya. <laughs> Yay. 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 Yeah, the, yeah, definitely the, those and then the history ones, historians seem very okay. popular because you've got um, Eleanor Yanago, you've got Ruth Goodman, um, so those are popular ones too. Yeah. And the uh, Mastery Movement with Dan Edwards. Oh, that's was good, popular. yeah. 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 I, I think that also there's a correlation between how many downloads of the show gets and how active the guest is on social media. There does seem to be a pretty strong correlation, uh, which is kind of a shame because I'd, I'd hope that by now, listeners, there would be like a, a kind of core constituency of listeners who would listen to every show and share the ones they liked quite vigorously. Um, and so it would be, uh, episode's popularity would have more to do with how much the core audience liked it rather than how famous the guest was. Um, but I guess I have to know, I think Neil Stevenson is probably our most famous guest so far and his episode's done pretty well. It has done well, but it's not in the top and neither is Stephen Pressfield. Oh, really? No. Okay. So I think the core listeners are definitely driving a lot of the popularity of the episodes. Yeah, but then neither Neil nor... Um, Stephen Pressfield are particularly active on social media, ah. so they're well famous, but mm. they they don't you know tweet out to a hundred thousand followers mm. if, because you know they haven't they haven't spent the time getting like sucked into the vicious quagmire that is <laughs> social media. Speaking of which, um, you helped me build the Sword People platform. Yes. How's that from your perspective? I love it. I mean, I must admit, I don't use it as, as a user. Well, you're so not a sword person, so, <laughs> so that's fair. Um, but building it was very easy. Yeah. Um, I put all the courses on there, and um, I think with all these sort of new social medias, you've just got to get enough people using it regularly, haven't you, to, yeah. to build the momentum so that people will just go and click on that app rather than click on Facebook when they right. just immediately, as soon as you open your phone, mm. swipe press that app. Yeah. But are you finding that there's a lot of discussion going on on there? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, there's about, I guess, 400 members on at the moment, um, which is not as many as I'd hoped we would have by this stage, because, of course, these things always follow the Pareto principle, right? So 20% of members do 80% of the posts, or actually, in this case, closer to maybe 5% of the members do 90% of the posts. Mm. Um but there's, you know, there's there's good discussion about all sorts of things from, um, like, 
prevention of concussion with various kinds of head protection and um, where to get a single stick and how to get rust off your sword. And um, We haven't got much in the way of academic geeky shit on there yet, um, but that is coming. Michael Chiller has joined the platform recently, so I'm expecting our academic quotient to go up <laughs> considerably. Um, okay, so... The absolute worst thing about working for me is, is the, the difficult transcriptions, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I mean, that's the only bit of it that sort of is, is the time-consuming bit, really. Okay, so I'm wondering how necessary the transcriptions actually are. Do, do you see any data on whether people actually look at them? No, and I don't know how you get that data because it's all sort of combined within the blog post. Um, um, yeah, okay, so... so yeah, we can see how many people are clicking on the actual show notes, but we can't see how many people are actually reading the transcriptions. No, okay. and on, on um, Patreon, it's just within the same yeah. text. It's not People don't even have to click to look at the transcript. Yeah. Um, so I don't know how you would do that. And what I also don't know is whether it helps drive people to the show notes if, they're, if it's doing some SEO it should be, yeah, because it's it's about it's a lot of keywords. So yeah, somewhere between like seven and fifteen thousand words every yeah. week on topic going up on the sourceful.com website, which should do good things for the sourceful.com SEO by all by itself. Mm. Um, but I'm really not a fan of the whole SEO thing as a um, see. It's like I don't I don't put much work into sales pages. My feeling is if I have to persuade you to buy this thing, you probably shouldn't buy it. And if I have to um, basically seduce Google into showing you my stuff, you may well not be that interested. Yeah, you'd think that if people were looking for historical martial arts, they would type that into Google. And we should, and come, it up should come up pretty easily. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, it's just the whole kind of popularity. So social media, SEO, it's all kind of, in my head, it's all bundled together into this this great big, um, there's a whole lot of people out there and you have to shout really loudly about this one thing many, many times a day and then eventually people will notice you and then you get a, it's a slight yuck, I just don't want to do it. Mm, yeah, I hate all that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. So. But I uh, guess that's a question for the listeners, isn't it? Do they, does anyone ever look at transcription okay that's that's and a, if they do does it help can they I'm find saying, what they're looking for the thing is i know you have plenty of other things you could be doing other than transcribing episodes right you have like your author assistant work for example right um which i imagine is more fun than the transcriptions it varies it's, it varies. it's really variable yeah. what i do so um quite often it can be populating a website or how do, what, is, yeah. what is populating a website? Well, one of my authors has got about 80 books. Oh, God. She's just had a new website. So all the books have to go onto the new website. Ah, right. All the links for which all the different you, retailers. Which you did for mysourceful.com. Which you did for yeah. okay. So there, there can be a lot of sort of data inputting stuff. Right. Um, Fairly tedious. Which is, yeah, you have to be very detail-oriented. Methodical. Methodical, <laughs> Not sort of go off on one and do something else. <laughs> right. Um, 
And so it's a real mix because it's a mix between marketing, doing newsletters, mm-hmm. doing that kind of data entry behind the scenes sort of stuff. Okay. It's quite varied. Right. Okay. So basically, I don't want to talk you out of a job, basically. <laughs> Sounds like you um, might be. No, no, no. no <laughs> but, okay. Like, the, the show absolutely does not make money, no. right? And the patrons are wonderful and they're lovely and they just about cover some of the costs, mm. right? Although I did get approached for um, sponsorship a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, a company called Manscape, I think, approached me about basically um, basically asking you know, what is my what are my terms and stuff and what are my stats because they're interested in sponsoring my show. And this is a company that provides that equipment for men to shave their testicles. Or at least shave their scrotum. You don't shave a testicle, that would be really <laughs> extreme. <laughs> but but basically yes, yes, it's sort of sort of, sort of is, say, is this a big market? I, I have no idea. <laughs> and and I reply and say, well, I can't in good conscience recommend your products because I don't use them. Mm. And so yeah. So I'm not I'm not averse to the notion of accepting sponsorship for the show, but it would have to be for stuff I actually use where I think I'm doing the listeners a favour by recommending this product to them. Well, presumably they'll send you some free ones that you can have a go. But, just no. No? No, not. That's just not something I want to do. Um, no, I, no, it might open up, you know, a new world to you. Yeah. Share. Yeah, well, it could, could be. And and maybe, maybe other companies with similar... Um, Similar products might you know, go, oh, right, well, obviously, sword people do like shaving their nads. So, that's, yeah. But, yeah. So they are, they are the only company that have ever actually approached me for sponsorship. And your average historical martial arts supplying company doesn't have the budget for that kind of thing. No. And, again, it would have to be a company that I know and have worked with so I can, in good faith, recommend them. Um, so, but to get back to... What we were talking about, the the transcriptions are a significant portion of the cost mm. of running the show. And if they are not actually useful to the listeners, then we might as well stop doing them. Mm. Yeah. But, I mean, there are people who are deaf who might be reading them, for instance. Or people who just much prefer reading to listening, who might be... Using it. So, tell you what, if you're listening to this and you think the transcriptions are jolly good, send me an email to tell me that, and if I get enough of them, then we'll carry on doing them. Keep me employed. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but you, you said you've got loads of other no, things you could be doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, for instance, writing your next book. We should maybe bring up your first book. Well, I think that might be the answer to the penultimate question. Okay, the penultimate question being, what's the best idea you haven't acted on yet? Yeah, because right. I know the questions. <laughs> well, I, I, would, I would imagine, yes, you've heard yeah. them like 150 times already, so. Yeah. Um, okay, so what is the next book? Is this, is this the best idea you haven't acted on yet? Yes, except I don't really have an idea, but the, 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 okay. I, the, the best idea I haven't acted on is to write another book. Okay, um, why? But that's about as far as I've got, because I really, really enjoyed writing the first one. Ah, okay. Um, I loved writing it what I don't love is trying to sell bloody thing right and the impression I get from other indie authors is that the more books you have the better the easier it is to sell them yeah, yeah. Um, so 
that's one. So th that's two reasons, really. So the one is because I enjoy the writing, and the other is that it would help with the general selling of books, of my books. Okay. So how, how was, so you enjoyed writing the first one. Mm. I do remember, though, when we've been on some walks in the countryside and whatnot, and you have you have given me the impression that you weren't particularly enjoying the book producing process at that time. Was that when I was trying to edit it? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you enjoyed producing the first draft? Yes. Yeah, that is the fun bit, generally. Yes. Yeah, it was fun. Everything after that is just fucking grunt work. It's quite tedious. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I really enjoyed the, the coming up with the ideas and just... So just, just for people who haven't read it yet, and shame on them for being so behind in their reading, um, what's the first book about? Well, it's called Easy Fitness for Quitters, and what it is, is like, I am not a sporty person, I'm not a sort of person, but I do keep myself fit, and really it's a book for people like me who don't like competitive sport, who find the whole going to the gym, like, ugh, and how to then find ways to make keeping fit fun and worthwhile and enjoyable and also not too onerous in terms of time because right. we all know that exercise is really good for you but I think there is a bit of a misconception that you have to go out and run 5k or you have to go to the gym or you have to do this class or you have to do that and actually you don't and you can get quite a lot of exercise and quite a lot of just movement just through your daily activities. Right. Um, yeah, and Katie Bowman was saying the same thing. Yeah, exactly. So I've been, yeah, heavily influenced by Katie Bowman. Yeah, and actually it was, I think it was you who encouraged me to get Katie Bowman onto the show. Yeah, well I think you brought up the name and I was like, yes, it's please, please, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, so it's not a very long book. Um, it's about 200 pages. Nice, gentle read. It's easy to read. Easy to read. Everyone says it's easy to read. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's, what I'm trying not to do is to lecture people because I think also if you're someone like me who listens to a lot of podcasts and is you know always trying to learn new things, you can get a bit overwhelmed by how much advice there is out there. Yeah. And you feel like, oh, God, I need to be doing yoga and I need to be doing this and I need to be doing that. Um, and then it can all just become... Like, well, I'm not going to do any of it because it's yeah, yeah. too much. Yeah, if, if, I can't, if I can't do it properly, I'm not going to do it at all. Yeah. yeah. And it, it really does depend on your goals, though. Like, if you mm. just want to be reasonably active and healthy, reasonably late into life, then, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't really doesn't take very much. You know, 20-minute walk around the block every day and a little bit of strength training, you'll probably be done. Yeah. Um, but, of course, if you want to, you know, compete seriously in some sport, then... Probably getting enough exercise isn't your problem. It's figuring out how to defeat your opposition is the problem. Mm. Yeah. Okay. And of course, actually, for a lot of sword people, they get into swords because they're looking for some way to be more physically active. And swords, it just seems like a lot more fun than lifting weights. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And they just kind of get into the physical training side of things because they get hooked by the swords and they want to get better at the swords and they realize they need to and they increase their arm strength, for example, and so they start taking that weight. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I found with climbing, because when our local climbing centre opened about four or five years ago? About four years ago, yeah. Four years ago, 
Um, I'd never liked climbing before. In fact, I'd act- actively hated climbing. Really? Oh, yeah. Because my husband is really, really into climbing. Yeah, Ross is a very, 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 very good climber. Very good climber. Annoyingly good climber. <laughs> <laughs> he took me climbing once and <sighs> sent me up the wall and I got to the top and I didn't know how to get down. Ah. And I had a complete panic at the top of the wall. Was, was it like, with ropes? Or? Yeah, with ropes. Okay. And I just... So you're just supposed to let go and you get lowered down, right? Yeah, but he hadn't told me that. Oh. And okay. I hadn't practised jumping off from six feet. Yeah. I was right at the top. All right. And, um, yeah, so that was <laughs> not a, not a fun experience. And so after that, I was like, what's the point of this? You just go up to the top of the wall and then you have to come back down again. So yeah. What's the point? Um, but then when Avid opened in Ipswich, which is bouldering, so you only go up to about four metres and you yeah. don't have ropes, so you can sort of usually get yourself down again. Yeah. Not always. I have had some freak outs at the top when I haven't been able to get down. I, I've, I've had panic attacks in Avid yeah. like on the wall, yeah, because I'm scared of heights. So mm. one of the reasons I like going climbing with you guys is that I get to practice, you know, not freaking out when you're scared of something. <laughs> yes. it's, it's good fear practice. Yeah, it is. Um, but anyway, yes, so anyway, I got got into climbing at Avid and, and going with you was really fun because we were sort of beginners together. That's right. Which yeah. is a lot better than going with just with Ross, who's not a beginner. really good. Yeah. Um, and he's like, oh, you just do it like this. Hmm. Like, well, no. Yeah, well, first first you have your DNA blended with that of the lizard and then you do it like this. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so then it was like, well, I want to get better at climbing. Mm-hmm. So to get better at climbing, it would really help me if I improved my strength in these areas. And so it yeah. makes doing squats or push-ups or pull-ups or whatever much more bearable if you're doing them for some other goal. Yeah, for a specific than, pointful reason. Yes, rather than just, oh, I need to do some push-ups to get fit. Because yeah. Because that's really boring. Yeah, the question is fit for what? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and the climbing. Um, it's it's this is an odd interview because we actually spend a lot of time together, <laughs> <laughs> right? And and so I'm I'm trying to think of what are the right questions to ask you that um, the, the the listeners would be interested in hearing the answers to. But the thing is, because we've already had many 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 hours of conversation, and you're not a sort of person. I'm sort of like, okay, so should we talk about this thing or that thing or this thing or nothing? Like, I should I should have prepared better. <laughs> yeah, I, I do I do find that the uh, preparation um, side of the podcast is one of the fun things about it because you go internet stalking people, mm. um, but it's totally legit because you've got a reasonable reason. Um, like you know, doing push-ups to get better at climbing, you've got a reasonable reason, right? So. You don't normally just go stalking people, just... No. No. Not, not generally. No. Not going to admit to him. No. Well, I mean, who's got the time? Yeah. And honestly, who cares? Mm. Um, okay, so it does strike me that we have an opportunity here because you are not a sword person, and yet you have this sort of bird's-eye view of the sword world through uh, scheduling my newsletter, running the podcast, um doing loads of authory assistant stuff for my books and all that sort of thing. So, so you, you've sort of seen all the various parts of the sword world that I interact with. So what does, it, what does it actually look like from your point of view? I think it looks great. And I would love to be in a sword club. 
It's a shame really? that I'm not interested in swords and sword fighting because I think the clubs look great. And I think okay. being in a club is fantastic because you've got a bunch of people who all, you can all geek out about tempo or whatever it is, go to the pub, have a nice time. Um, and I think that side of it seems really, really good. Mm-hmm. And I like the breadth of the scene because you've got your Michael Chidisters and, and and you and people who are really into the translations and finding the sources and the academic stuff the, yeah. the academic side of it but then you've got people who just want to rock up on a Thursday night and yeah. whack someone <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so it's it, it's probably as far as I can tell it's a more interesting scene than say football or some other club that people mm. might go to for keeping fit or you know cricket you know cricket is probably similar in that you've got the whole social side of it and there's a lot of nerding out about stats and things um but you don't really get the historical side of it yeah so yeah so i i think it it looks great and it looks very healthy and you all seem to get through the pandemic and not being able to meet up in person just about okay and be interesting to see where it where it, goes, How, where it goes and whether well, anything changes. I mean, you are you are seeing a kind of filtered view of the sword world because I don't invite any of the stinkers onto my show. We do have them. Yeah. Um, it's just I don't invite them on the show because I don't want to give them airtime. Um, okay. So I'm, I'm interested to hear that you, you actually you'd quite like to join a sword club if only you were interested in sword. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's quite a nice way to put it. Um, okay. So we were sort of we were talking about what your next book might be. Um, so it's not going to be about swords. No, it's not going to be about. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it could be a memoir of of of, of the podcast. Uh, of, of of the this weird rabbit hole you have fallen into. It's like like a travel memoir where where <laughs> some somebody from from culture A goes off and spends a year in culture B and they come home with stories. Mm. Yeah. That's a thought. Mm, there's an idea. Um, yeah. But um, are you thinking you want to follow up Easy Fitness with something else health-related? or? I really don't know. I think I think with the Easy Fitness for Quitters, I did feel like there was a gap in the market there. Okay. Of like a fitness book for people who aren't into fitness. Yeah, that is by itself a difficult sell because if you're not into fitness, why are you looking for a fitness book? So how do you find the people who want to get fit but are not interested in fitness? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's, that's, that is a that is a tricky marketing proposition. Yes, um, but I haven't really I haven't come across anything else that I think oh I need to write that at the moment. Okay, I mean having had a look at physical health, mental health might be another place to go. Yeah, yeah. Like easy mental health for mad people. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Well, maybe. Maybe you want a slightly more, um, <laughs> slightly less offensive title for <laughs> Probably. it. Probably. Yeah. It was hard. It's hard enough to sell easy fitness for Britain, so I don't want to like yeah. people off by saying you're mad. Yeah. Um, Are you madder than a box of frogs? Well, <laughs> then you need this book. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Um, there's also um, you've got experience in like babies and parenting. Yeah, I have, I have, but I've sort of, I'm a bit out of touch now. 
in a few years. Well, you still have children, so. I do, but yeah, I don't know how much the. I have to do some reading, I think, on that one. Okay. Um, but yeah, there are various areas I could go down. There's the whole self publishing and, and writing sort of area as well. Yeah. Um, Actually, I don't think there is a how to do creator owned publishing or indie publishing, however you want to call it. Um, from the perspective of an author's assistant, mm. I haven't seen anything like that. Yeah, that could be quite interesting. Mm. Some of it is mechanics, like you know, how do you upload a file to KDP? But also, I mean, the thing is, all that stuff changes not daily, but at least every six It'd months. It'd be or out so. of date by the time it was published. Yeah, I mean, and think think of my my direct sales stuff. We've got the Shopify store now. Which store's called Dot Shop, everyone. Fuck off and buy books, please. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, but before that, there was Gumroad, which is actually still active. I'll be closing it down eventually. And before that, there was Celts. And I shifted, I, I think I opened the Celts store in like 2012, maybe. Mm. And I closed it when I moved everything over to Gumroad because Gumroad had lower monthly operating costs. Um, Sales required a bunch of apps and things you had to pay for to get various aspects of the thing to work. Um, and sales actually went out of business uh, maybe two years ago, something like that. Mm. Um, not because I abandoned them, but you know, they struggled on without me for about four yeah. years. So I, I think I don't think that was my fault. Um, but yeah, so like the specifics of how you how you actually publish a book will change as new tools develop. Um, but maybe something on the organisational side. Mm. Because, I mean, you've, you've seen the inside of my Dropbox account. Yeah. You know. <laughs> well, I've um, been involved in trying to tidy up the inside of your Dropbox account. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, it's just... See, I, I do actually like having things organised. Um, I just don't have any knack for organising them. Mm. Um so, yeah, I mean, maybe some kind of, some kind of this, this is how you keep all your ducks in a row, and these are the kinds of, um, I don't know, swipe files you want for metadata and keywords and that kind of stuff, and how do you figure out what keywords to use, and that, you know, all of that sort of thing that you do for me and people like me, although I don't think your other authors are terribly like me, being like romantic novelists and whatnot. Very different subjects. But, but the actual, but the process the of publishing the book is identical. The back end is the same. It's the yeah. same. And how they sell their books, is that the same? Similar. Yes, very similar. Okay. It, it, I mean, it, the newsletters and things look different, but it's selling through newsletters. The other thing with the um, romance writers is because they have these long series right. of like six to eight books, they'll always make, often make the first book free. Yeah. So it's getting that free book out in the hope that then people will read through and, yeah. and buy the rest of the series. Yeah, I've, I've tried that and I, don't, I didn't find it worked very well. Mm. Um, mostly because most of my sort of proper books are fairly big, chunky things. And while they might be part of a series, it might take 10 years to produce four books in that series because mm. each book is a lot of building. Whereas... The romance story writers, some of them are writing a book a month. Oh, yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, with, with my theory and practice book, the first half of the book or so had already been published as seven 
um, Swordsman's Quick Guides. Yeah, Swordsman's Quick Guides. And the first one is free, and then the second one was, you know, first one was Seven Principles of Mastery, then Choosing a Sword. Third one was, I think, Preparing for Free Play, something like that. Mm. Anyway, lots of, and it, I, I didn't feel it really worked as a, in, in the way that series are supposed to work, which is why I haven't put any of them on the Shopify store. Because mm. it's just, you know, just, just get theory and practice, they're all in there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it's tricky because with non-fiction, I don't know, maybe I should maybe I should produce some short stuff. I mean, again, I did the same thing with the from medieval management to modern practice, mm-hmm. right? Where we've got these four ebooks, which are, I should know what my own fucking books are. <laughs> but yeah, sword in one hand, guards and mechanics and whatnot. Um, sword of Largo, sword of Strato. Did I produce the sword of Strato separately? No, I think that's just in the printed book. The full book, but yeah, they're, they're, I think there are four parts somewhere. I should, God, I need to actually have a look at what I published. Um, and again, making the first bit free doesn't really work, yeah, because uh, because the people who are interested they're quite happy just to go and buy the whole book, right? So it's just it's, it's more effective just to put the whole book in front of them. Yeah, it's a very different audience. Because yeah, the romance. I mean, you can read these romance books in practically a sitting or two. Mm-hmm. Um, so. There's a high turnover of, of books, and they're nearly all ebooks. There's not very much, not so much emphasis on the paperbacks. Yeah. So it's it's filling up your e-reader. They're basically selling books to my wife mm. because she downloads and reads God knows how many of these various romance stories. Like her Kindle is constantly filling up, and she has to like delete books often that she's read. And yeah, know. yeah, yeah. So she's she's reading them that fast as they can be written. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is a rather different different business model, I guess, and a very different product. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you should even try and go down that. Road no, 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 no. That, that is definitely that definitely not where my strengths lie. Um, no. Yeah, I just thinking, you know, we have this opportunity to have you like on the show, and you know, it's episode one hundred and fifty and whatever. Is there anything you think? that the listeners should, or would be interested in, or should be aware of, or whatever, that maybe they're not. In what way? How the show is produced, or um, how incredibly disorganised everything actually really is. <laughs> this organisation is just this thin skin on the surface. That... <laughs> I think we do a reasonable job of putting out a podcast that looks like a real podcast. Well, I think you do. <laughs> <laughs> I think we is a bit strong. Well, you do the interviewing, you do the... Yeah, actually... Bit. But, well, I don't know, I mean... You have to find the guests, I imagine that. Finding the guests... much more difficult now after 150. Yeah, a lot of the low-hanging fruit has been plucked. Mm. Um, and a lot of guests are coming to me now because previous guests have recommended them, mm. which is great because, you know, they can reassure the person that perhaps, you know, they are... Um, you know, they're in safe hands when they come on the show. They're not going to get, you know, blindsided with weird questions or have stuff that they didn't mean to say put on the air or whatever. So that helps with... Um, and also, you know, if, if a guest has been on the show, they have an idea of what the show is about. And so they'll be recommending people who are likely to fit in with the show's values. Um, but we still don't get as nearly as many pitches as I expected. No. We really don't get very many at all. Um 
and precious few from women still. Um, but okay, um, okay. Now the, this best idea you haven't acted on. We are going to come come back to it. just one more. I know, I know, because I have found I have found that um, you ask the question the first time and you get like a top level answer, and then we, we've come back to it once already. And we come back to it a third time, we might actually dig out something underneath. What are you hoping I'm going to say? I'm not hoping for anything. I'm just <laughs> I'm just thinking that this is a useful opportunity to kind of um, I don't know. By coming back to it, maybe we scraped away the surface. They might ask. The thing is, I don't think anybody just wants to write a book, right? Because you know, the book is, there could be a billion different things. It's too general, right? Normally, when someone says, you know, they're thinking about writing, or they want to write another book, there's, there's something, some topic there that, that they want to look at. Mm, I don't know. Maybe it's just because I work with authors and I have several authors in my family as well. Right. That. It feels like something I ought to be doing. <laughs> oh right, okay. <laughs> um, and that is a. But you've done That's it. a sort of visible measure of success for me as, as having on, a book. Honestly. On my shelf. Honestly, absolutely. When I look back over the last twenty years, I can go, okay, book one, two thousand four, book two, two thousand six, child in two thousand seven, child in two thousand eight. Yeah. <laughs> book three in <laughs> twenty ten, and then. Yeah, there's a book in 2012, and, and, and I can just look at the shelf and go, okay, yes, I have actually been alive for the last 20 years. Yeah. Here is the evidence. Yeah. So it's, it is useful for that. Um, yeah, and I think I've always wanted to be a writer. Okay. Sort of... Well, maybe you should write fiction. Yeah, maybe. If you were going to write fiction, what would it be about? It would be about this handsome and dramatic sword instructor. <gasps> yes. <laughs> yes. Mm. Mm, who goes on having adventures. Gets into all sorts of scrapes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Solves mysteries. Yeah, could be. Psychic. Oh, psychic, okay. Mm. Well, psychic. Oh, psychic or sidekick? Sidekick. Oh, sidekick. Oh, right, right, right. Sorry. Yeah, no, not psychic. I'm not into that kind of thing. Not, not into the paranormal stuff. Paranormal stuff. No, okay. Yeah, yeah so, you know um, the Wolf Hall mm-hmm. books by Hilary Mantel? The TV series it was so beautifully done the visuals were immaculate everything was so beautifully produced and it was so incredibly boring right i found it just like 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 sort of standing in darkened rooms yes like and 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 each frame is a picture that you could hang on the wall and go oh my god that's beautiful but that's not what you're watching tv for um anyway some people loved it i i I loved the idea of it, and I thought it was beautifully produced, but I thought the direction just stank. Um, but anyway, I was so bored at the end that while Anne Boleyn was on the scaffold, about to have her head chopped off by that mincing French executioner person, who I don't think that was very well done. Um, but to be fair, to the historical person, he was French, and he was a very good executioner, and he lopped her head off in one go, which is actually no mean trick with a big sword and a big crowd. Um, a lot of pressure you don't want to screw it up you're actually beheading a queen it's like you know you don't do that every day but um, it, I was like so bored while this was going on I thought wouldn't it be cool if actually Anne Boleyn was a secret agent who had been sent into Henry's court to seduce him to engineer the break with Rome to free Britain from like the hegemony of the Pope um, and so what happens actually on the scaffold is 
as the executioner swings, she ducks underneath it, kills him, da da da, escapes over the wall. There's a, a, a dummy in her dress, like thrown into the Thames, so everyone thinks she's jumped into the water and she escapes off. But she doesn't want to go off back to Europe without her daughter. So when she gets, so she, she goes to where Elizabeth is um, being looked after and sort of you know, sneaks into the window or whatever. And she finds Elizabeth's nursemaid, nursemaid dead on the floor with her throat cut, blood everywhere, and the cradle is empty. Right, right. So that's, 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 that's as far as I've got. Right. Okay. But if you want to just like take that and finish it, that'd be great. You can have it. No, no cradle cut. Because I'm probably never going to get back to it. Yeah, well. I mean, that's an idea. Anyway, writing fiction is really hard to do it well. Yeah. So, but I think I think that maybe you should try. Hmm. Maybe I will try. Hmm. And I've got like eight other similar things on my hard drive. So if you run out, if you want like <laughs> thing, things to spark, it's like actually a lot of a lot of fiction writers start out with fan fiction. Yeah. Right. Because they have this idea. Wouldn't it be cool if? Mm. Um. And. You know, like, I don't know, wouldn't it be cool if Aragorn was secretly in love with Frodo? Mm. Right, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I bet that's been done. Oh, I'm sure it has been done many times. I, I remember the day when one of my students, who's actually been on the show, um, introduced me to the notion of slash fiction. I'd never heard of it. And she told me, Google this, or I think it was even before Google was that popular, or search for this, so I did. And... Uh, yeah, it was horrifying. <laughs> it was like, oh my god! I th- I think it was Harry Potter and Draco Malfoy being secretly, madly, passionately in love. It was yeah, it was scarring. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But well, if you like, hit yeah, on but, the right formula. Yeah, yeah, but, I mean, but yeah, maybe 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 start with fan fiction. Mm. Which and again, if you want everyone to publish it, you just change the names. Yeah. And, and a certain identifying features, like the whole um, E.L. James, yeah. Shades of Grey, Twilight fan fiction. Mm. Mm. You could be a millionaire, yeah, okay. but actually that's a terrible idea because then you I wouldn't be wouldn't working for me anymore. Be doing transcriptions. Yeah. Okay. So let's not do that. <laughs> right. So I, as you know, I do have like other questions, and one is somebody gives you a million quid. To spend improving historical martial arts worldwide, how would you spend it? Given that you've listened to everybody yes, else's answers, I've listened to everybody else's answers, and they all sound pretty good to me. I think I really like the idea of the protective equipment that actually fits people. I think that sounds like a good particularly idea. women. Particularly yeah. women. Yeah. Um, I know how hard it is just to get clothes to fit normal clothes. Yeah. So yeah, getting. Protective gear that you can actually move in seems like quite a sensible thing to be doing. Yep. Um, I think, yes, start-up funds for clubs to get equipment, that was, seems like a good idea. To make mm-hmm. it more accessible to people who don't have spare hundred quid to drop on a sword or like... <laughs> a sword you can get for hundred quid is probably no, not worth having. No, okay. No, Three hundred quid. Three hundred quid. Um... So yeah, I mean, how much would it cost to get yourself kitted out? It depends what for. Um, so like just for basic training, mm. you need a fencing mask and a sword. Mm-hmm. That's what most of my students start with. How much is a fencing mask? 80 quid maybe. Yeah. Um, and the sword, you can get something that's worthwhile for maybe 300. So should we say 400 quid? Mm. It's a lot of money. It is a lot. Um, which is why a lot of clubs use loaner gear. 
have that again. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember actually the time before last when I went to Germany to teach, um, the club that I teach regularly at there in Osnabrück, they almost sheepishly pulled out this big bag full of plastic wasters for long term. And they're like, Guy, we know you hate plastic swords, but we needed loaded gear for the club and these are durable and cheap and we can afford them. And I'm like, that's absolutely fine. Don't worry. You know, it's all right. You're allowed. Yeah. <laughs> um, because, yeah, it is, it is, it is difficult to, um, for a lot of people to just drop that kind of money on a hobby. But that said, there are an awful lot of hobbies that people do that are a lot more expensive. Mm. Woodwork being a great example, right? I mean, yes, okay, if you're willing to go around flea markets and whatnot and spend dozens and dozens of hours restoring stuff, you can get most of the things you're likely to need for not very much money. Mm. But, like, good equipment is... You're going to end up spending thousands and thousands of pounds on planes and chisels and saws and benches and, and wood. I mean, just the wood. Wood these days costs a fortune. It does. It's got so expensive. And yeah, yeah like all, all sports. I mean, I used to do um, quite a bit of running. and That should be free. It should be free. And you yes, go out of your house and you, you start to run. go out of your house just in your trainers that you have on. But once you... You can very quickly start spending money on trainers, sports bras, special clothing. You know, yeah. thing, people will find ways to spend money to yeah. get the best gear. Yeah, um, or even uh, like GPS watches. And, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You've um, got to have your watch because if you don't track it, did it even happen? It's not on Strava. Well, I mean, your 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 physiology would say it did. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it kind of depends on whether on what you what you're doing it for. So, did you use Strava? Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. I my niece was using Strava, and I told her very sternly to stop mm. because I don't anymore. There are massive data any... problems with yeah. it, where you know if dodgy blokes see a woman running past they can figure out who she is on Strava and watch her run home and then they know where she lives it's like that's really that's really not no it's not ideal not, not positive no and the, the other thing I think would be great would be to invest money in more youth courses more youth okay. activities yeah. in, in swords because my son is 12 and he's Mad keen on lightsabers, and he loves swords. He reads a lot of books that are very really? sort of swordy or adventurey. Or so, how come he never comes around my house to have a go? <laughs> I don't. Know. I mean, we we live within walking distance. Yeah, and he's known me for the last five years. I think he's a bit shy. Oh, okay, but I mean, and he does judo. Yeah, and the judo club is great. It's absolutely brilliant. The local judo club. Yeah, and that's not very expensive to get started, but you still need your gi and you need to pay your fees to the yeah. judo association and the map fees to the club and all that. So there is a cost involved, but I think if he could go to sword fighting classes on a Monday night, maybe he would. Um, and I'm sure a lot of his friends would. So I think if you can sort of catch the kids when they're still mm. into that sort of thing and, and open to trying new things before they get into sort of grumpy teenagerhood. Okay. And then come out the other side, I think it would be Yeah, I mean one of the, one of the best students I ever trained, um he started when he was ten. Mm. I think that's an ideal and, age to And start. he was but he was a ten year old 
in a room full of adults. Mm. He was the only child on that particular beginner's course. And he was he was extraordinary, right? Because we were all doing this exercise where you tense someone up, down, around, around, or whatever. And after about a minute or so, most of the adults were leaning on their swords like because their poor little armykins hurt. And this child, the same size sword as everyone else, I hadn't stopped, so he wasn't going to. <laughs> right? And he was, you know, the sword came up and said, okay, I want you to do this exercise this many times a week. He would just do that. Mm. And so within fairly short order, and when, when his growth spurt hit and we had him doing like forearm strengthening exercises and stuff, oh my God, he was he was a machine. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if you, if you can't, it would be good to have that kind of training. I never ran kids' classes in Finland because my finish was never good enough. Mm. Um, but, you know, I, you know, students all over the place who do run kids' classes. Um, actually, you know, now that we're here in the UK, it's not out of the question. But it is, I don't really feel it's my my area of expertise. No. Um, so it would be probably, probably better to get somebody else to do it because I don't like watering stuff down. I mean, with kids, you need to have safer ways of doing things than you do with adults. You need to be, um, I mean, plastic sorts of a children, for instance. Um, yeah, and you've got to sort of invent little games and things to get the, yeah. the fitness uh, training on a stealth a bit, haven't you? Well, you have to do that with grown-ups as well. Yeah. Because honestly, an awful lot of the people who start swordsmanship, they are allergic to exercise in any form, mm -hmm. but they're just seduced by the swords, and so that's... Yeah. yeah. That's what gets them into their the very first physical activity they've ever willingly done in their entire lives. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, they're not there to do push-ups, but you sort of sneak them in because <laughs> it's good for them. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, and it's not out of the question to start something. There are, also, there are plenty of people in Ipswich who would probably be better at teaching children than I am. Mm. 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 Because I don't think there is a club. I don't think there's a... Is there a fencing club in Ipswich? That I don't know. Because I've, I've looked so. before and not come up with anything. I don't know if there's a sport fencing club here or not. I should, I should know that. There used to be, I think. But I don't um, know if it's active. I don't know. And, of course, the pandemic killed a lot of clubs. Yeah. But in my local um, reenactment club, Suffolk Swords, they are pretty active, and they're pretty active in... Like going around to scouts and cubs and whatnot, mm, and mm. showing swords. Um, I know a few of the members, and they have got kids of the same age. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> one of his best friends, I think, is okay. his dad's in the club. Yeah, so maybe maybe stick some of the money into producing a kids' program. Yeah. Which is easy enough for interested adults to acquire the necessary skills, even if they're not, you know high-level swordsmanship people themselves, they can pick up enough quickly enough that it's that they can run such a thing. Huh. I guess you've got to have all the safeguarding stuff with kids. I don't know. I would imagine so. Yeah. Um, again, I've never run a kids' class, so I mm. I don't know what the legalities are. But I, in this country, there's bound to be lots. I think so. Something I think that possibly needs to be done, and certainly there's been a lot of discussion about concussion on the podcast there has. and that worries me I, yeah, <laughs> you know, I think that doesn't that doesn't sound like the head protection is good enough either or not the right kind of head protection that people can actually get hold of or Honest, honestly it's, it's it's maybe they need to stop getting hit in the head I don't it's, know. it's too many different things right mm. like fundamentally 
you get a concussion because somebody hit you wrong, right? Wrong for the equipment that you're wearing or wrong for your particular brain or whatever, right? But generally speaking, wrong for the equipment that you're wearing. The thing is, fencing mask and anything based on a fencing mask has not been designed from the ground up to deal with the problem of concussion when you're being hit by something relatively heavy, mm. right? Like a long sword or a rapier, right? It's designed to deal with very flexible weapons that are very light. Like a, um, a fencing saber is about, or a foil is like 750 grams. Mm. Um, so the solutions that have been designed from the ground up for this specific problem, like the that guy's product masks designed by Terry Tyndall, for instance, or actual armour from the period, it works really well. But the problem is you've got people clonking each other in the head because they're wearing fencing masks that have extra padding on, right? Which the fencing mask has not been designed for this, right? And I'm a fan of suspension, but like one of my students pointed out on um, saw people actually when this discussion came up that the modern military helmet used by the United States military, the army particularly, has padding rather than um, suspension. But the whole helmet has been designed to deal with heavy strikes to the head from either you know you're sitting in the back of a Humvee or whatever and being smashed around, mm. um, or an explosion or shrapnel or whatever else. It's been designed for that from the ground up, so it actually works quite well. But just throwing some generic foam padding into a fencing mask is not going to solve the problem. So, yeah, I mean, I think it would be a good idea to put some serious research money into a modern technological and therefore cheap-to-produce solution. Mm. That would be that would be sensible. Maybe you could look at the sort of technology behind riding helmets and yeah. things like that, because people fall off horses from quite... Great heights. And break their necks. At speed, yeah. Um, um, see, I'm not actually sure how good those riding helmets are. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm, my riding helmet is one of those classic kind of black ones with a, with a brim. And, you know, they were designed, I think, in the 19th century. Yeah, the modern ones are the modern, more mod- similar to a bicycle helmet. Yeah, and that, okay, a helmet that's designed to protect you from a single catastrophe is fundamentally different to one that's designed to protect you from multiple strikes. Yes, you don't have to buy a new helmet. Which I'm no, actually, I, I did this um, as a demonstration for the STEM week at uh, Sidegate Primary School when, oh, my, yeah. when, when my kids went there, where I took my steel um, armour helmet, you know, proper helmet, that thing over there, mm. right? It's an armet, technically and a bicycle helmet, and I had several cheap bicycle helmets, right, and a sharp sword. And I was like, okay, if you're riding around the streets of Ipswich, what should you wear on your head? Which would be better? And they, they could try them on or whatever. Definitely the bicycle helmet's better. It's lighter, it's designed for the sword. Okay, but what happens when you hit a bicycle helmet with a sharp sword? Try any sword. <laughs> it, it fails. It just, just, yeah. boom. It just, you just cut it in half, right? And even with a blunt sword, you just smash it. Yeah. Right? Which would make fencing your friends very expensive. Yeah. So. It's like modern cars, isn't it? One, yeah. One hit and they just crumble. Yeah, which saves lives and, and it's, it's a great thing. Written off. Yeah. But mm. it's but the solution we're looking for is something that allows you to take multiple hits to the head. And honestly, the absolute best solution that I've ever come across is training students to actually control their swords properly. Mm. And to make that strike to the head in such a way that you could get a hundred of them 
and not suffer any ill effects. That's it's 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 again because you have this this problem of risk homeostasis, right? As soon as as soon as the equipment gets really good, people take more risks with it, and so the actual injury level remains the same or goes higher. Mm. Um, and there's that famous study in was it taxi drivers in Munich, I think, where they equipped some taxis with ABS brakes and some taxis didn't have them, and there was a brief dip in accident rates for the ABS brakes, and then the drivers just started taking the brakes for granted and so going as fast as they were, faster than they were before and mm-hmm. whatever, and the accident rate went back to where it was because um, human beings do that. So, so I mean, the thing is, if you're wearing like concussion-proof gear, people can hit you in the head as hard as they like, and they will, mm-hmm. right? And and maybe you don't get a concussion, but you get your neck broken because you got hit hard enough that it knocked you over. And this big heavy thing on your head was just in just the wrong place at just the wrong time, and you know bad things happen. And that's why I don't do swords. <laughs> but but no, that's not why you, you make do it sound so fun. No, no, because okay, but that kind of stuff only really happens when you're competing at a fairly high level, yeah. right? And it also only really happens where you allow the fences to trust the equipment to keep each other safe, right? And and that's a cultural problem. It's one that I don't know about. Mm. Not in my classes. But because, you know, if, if you if you trust the equipment to keep each other safe, then you're doing something wrong. Because, like, the reason you wear the equipment is to allow people to hit you. So if I'm wearing steel gauntlets, that means you can hit my hands. If I'm not wearing steel gauntlets, you can't hit my hands. And so you don't. And, yeah, I mean, there might be an accident. And it'd be better to wear the gauntlets. But generally speaking, the more equipment you wear, the more dangerous it becomes. Yeah. Um, Okay. Well, that was a bit of a rant, wasn't it? <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, I, I could ask you, who has been your favourite interviewee? Who has been your favourite interviewee, Katie Gannon? I'm guessing Katie Bowman, so you can't have her, because you, you're like, you're a super fan of Katie Bowman already. Can't have Katie Bowman. Um, so, let me rephrase the question. I'll tell you the ones, okay. the ones I prefer Go on. are the historians. You like the historians best? I like the historians Okay. I like Ruth Goodman, Eleanor Yanniger, um, those ones. I like Toby Capwell mm-hmm. because I understand them. I know what they're talking about. Ah, okay. Whereas Tempo, straight <laughs> over my head. I think I'd worked out by the end of the episode what Tempo was, <laughs> but I certainly didn't know before I went into it. And because okay. I, I, I can't picture a lot of this stuff right either. Of course. Um, so the one, yes. Yeah, so my favourite ones are the ones that I can understand. Okay. But I just like I, I've liked all the guests. I think I don't. There's. Well, I, I, I know from other comments that you're not going to put on record that you like some guests more than others. Like one or two are like. Ehh. Well. But I think that's just. There, there were some stuff. early ones where the audio was terrible. Yeah. That's and. True. The audio has gotten a lot better. The audio has got. So the, my view of whether I like an episode or not really depends on how well Trent transcribes it as much as anything. So you like the people who speak slowly and clearly in complete yes. sentences. And I've, I've worked out who Trent really likes. Yeah. Trent really likes American women who speak slowly and clearly. Okay. Then I can whiz straight through them. There's barely a, a thing to change. Trent doesn't like... Australians. 
Oh. I'm sorry to say <laughs> it struggles with Australians. Okay. Um, but surprisingly, it did really, really well with um, when you had Schwerkefluster on. Oh, yeah. And you said, I'm interviewing two Germans. And I thought, oh, God, this is going to be a nightmare. And actually, it was fine with them. It huh. thought you were three different people. Oh, so, right. <laughs> so it was like, every time you spoke, it broke it up into three different speakers. But it was absolutely fine with the, with Germans. the, the Germans and the accent huh. and everything. So it, you never know. Okay. You never know what you're going to get. All right. Um, so who would you like me to have back on? Kate Bowman. Right, yeah, of course. <laughs> I can ask. Um, I don't know. Well, let me rephrase. Okay, if you have the opportunity to have, I don't know, up to four of my guests around your house for dinner, who would you pick? <gasps> oh, God. You can't have Katie. Oh, because obviously Katie would be in there, but she should be living in your house at this point, so... That's go. mean, because there's 145 of them, roughly, isn't there? Oh, yeah. With some repeats and things. You don't have to answer the question, I mean, no. or you'd rather not answer that question. I don't know. I mean... Ariel Anderson sounds like she's great Oh, fun. she's lovely. She's <laughs> absolutely... We have, we have had her around for dinner here. Yeah. And, yeah, and... Um, yeah, even the kids really liked her, so... Yeah. yeah. She's yeah. super fun. Yeah, there's loads. I mean, most... You know, nearly all of them, I thought, oh, they sound really nice. I'd right. Happily have yeah. them around for dinner. Um, so my filtering process is working then? Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, what was it you called? The stinkers? Were they, they haven't been yeah, any yeah. Stinkers. There haven't been any stinkers, and... I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't invite any of the stinkers on because no. you, you don't want to give airtime to people like that. Hmm. No. Right. But it's always it's always nice listening to people talk about stuff that they're passionate about. True. Even when it's something I don't know anything about, it's really nice to hear you guys having a good chat about stuff you love to do. That's yeah. you know that's really nice and infectious and yeah, it sounds mm. good. Yeah, I, I don't think we get any listens outside of the sword community, though. I don't think there are any non-sword people who would tune in. Um, for good reason. Do you, um, is that what you like? Um, well, I mean, more listens is always yeah. nice. But um, I mean, not really, because the point... Okay, actually, okay, when I think it through, yes, because... There are lots of people in the world, I believe this is an article of faith, I don't have actual proper data for it, but it does seem to be true. It seems to match my experience. Um, there are people out there who, if they only knew about historical martial arts, would practice them. And so if people who were not particularly swordy, listened to the show, shared the show, whatever, people would stumble upon it by accident and thus realise that actually they were secretly inside somewhere, unbeknownst to themselves even, actually a sword person. And so it would it would sort of bring people into the fold mm. who, who don't even know the fold exists. Mm-hmm. That, that would be good. Um, and um, it's, it's a... It's kind of hard for people to stumble across a podcast, I don't know. If it's it not, is now, yeah. If it's not in the top 50... Top yeah, I, I, I don't think we're any, anywhere close to that. It's top ten of sword podcasts. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> I would I would imagine. I, I only, hope so. <laughs> I, I only know of like three others, and one of them is German. So yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's almost like I mean I'm, I'm thinking. So then you you guest on other people's. I do. I, I do that precisely so that hopefully yeah. there will be people out there who go, 
Hang on, you can actually do swords for real? Mm. Really, really? Okay. And then they, they come into the art that way. Um, I haven't done it for a little while because it's, honestly, it's a pain. Mm. Um, and it's usually the same questions over and over again. And it's, it, it never feels very effective. Um, but Do you think people think coming on your podcast is a pain? Well, I don't think so because they wouldn't do it if they did. Because almost almost everyone who comes on the show comes on the show because I have explicitly invited them, and quite a few people do say no. Mm. Um, and they come on the show, and they usually they don't have some kind of strategic goal in mind, mm. or even a tactical goal in mind. I mean, most of the time they're not explicitly trying to sell a particular book, for instance. Yeah. Um, or explicitly trying to spread the word about their particular interpretation of Fabris or whatever. Because right. you see that all the time with other podcasts. You see right. the same guests pop up at the same time right. of year because they're flogging whatever their latest book is. Exactly, yeah. So you hear, you hear the same interview on mm. this show and that show and this show and that show. Um, and which, of course, I do occasionally. But I, I don't usually time it with the book launch because I don't really do book launches. I just sort of, you know, let the book go out in the world and see what happens. <laughs> Which maybe I should get better at. Gently nudge it into the world. Yeah, yeah, I, I should probably get better at launching books with a bit more fanfare because it would maybe, you know, help get the word out a bit. But actually, I think also it's a question of having the right book, right? Imagine if I could, if I could put an excerpt from one of my books in the back of every copy of Lord of the Rings. Imagine what that would do. Yeah. Right? Or at the end of every episode of whatever the latest Game of Thrones equivalent is, have some kind of, you know, did you know you can actually do swords for real? <laughs> Go to swordschool.com and find out. Yeah. You know? That, you should that, put an advert on the side of a bus. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that, that kind of stuff doesn't, doesn't work terribly well, I don't think. No. It kind of reinforces existing fame, but I don't think it creates it from, from scratch. And again, it's, it's not very targeted. It's like, Actually, I do know one one historical martial arts school that goes to the local bookshop and puts flyers for their classes in things like Lord of the Rings or whatever, just mm. quietly without telling anyone. Mm. They just sort of mm. stick it back on the shelf and hope for the best. Yeah, which is genius. It's good, good. But again, that's very local. Then, and you know, also maybe just writing the right book, mm. something actually aimed at the wider potential sword world, like. I have an idea for a book, which is basically you take the main sword types and have a chapter for each sword type and have a historical example, um, a modern reproduction example, some idea of the sources that are available for it and a couple of sample plays taken from those sources. Mm -hmm. Right? So, you know, you have a kid who's interested in swords and they're 12, that would be perfect. Yeah. Right? And then they go, oh, right, falchions, they're super cool. Oh, in Germany, they're called a messer, fantastic. Oh, there's a chap called Lakusha, da, da, da. and then they could start, you know, then that would get them to go on the internet and start searching using the right terms, and maybe find their local sword fighting club, and you know, who knows, where it goes from there. Um, Send them all to swordpeople.com. Yeah, that would be good. <laughs> find your local sword club through swordpeople.com. That is something that I am, I haven't figured out how to make it better for clubs. To have a kind of like a club page. Mm. Um, I'm not. 
See, this is the way I just do things, right? I, oh, this is a great idea. We should, we should have a sword people social network thing. Right, okay, this will work. Right, let's do this. Boom. And then, it's like, well, how do I actually get this specific thing to work? Um, no clue. I, I, I have had emails from people who have clearly assumed that I have watched all of the videos that Mighty Networks have created on how to do things on their network. You've read the manual. Uh, yeah. They, <laughs> As if. Things, if there was a manual, I would read it, but mm. there isn't. There's just endless fucking videos. And I do not want to watch a video unless it's a very specific problem where I need to know, okay, go to this page, click on this bit of the menu, click on that menu option, that takes you through to here, click on this button and you're done. Then, yeah, video is helpful. But mm. I don't want somebody standing there telling me what to do because they talk slower than I can read. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like, to be mad as it's well. It's like, no. Yeah, you just so, want to search through the text to find the thing you need. Which is, again, what the, um, the transcription is going to be useful for. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so yeah, figuring out some way of getting clubs to be able to have a useful presence on sword people would be helpful. And maybe, like, sub-forums mm. for each club. I mean, we could quite easily create a section in the sidebar where there's a space for, you, well, you probably want to organise it geographically, and then within that, within those geographies, have, within those regions, have, you know, clubs in America and clubs in Europe and clubs in mm. Asia or Africa or wherever else. Because um, are they mainly doing Facebook groups? Well, um, a lot of clubs have a Facebook page. Yeah. And then they organise events using their probably Facebook WhatsApp page. WhatsApp groups as well, isn't it? Yeah, that sort of thing. Mm. But being able to get everything onto sort of people would be really good. Mm. Um, because it would be nice if that was kind of like, you could just say, oh, right, you're, you're interested in swords and you're looking for a local club, just go to sword people, we'll sort you out. That would be fantastic. Yeah. Um, we're not even close to being there yet, but it's nice to have goals, isn't it? Yeah, so there's going to be a lot of work involved. Also, again, one of the issues is, at the moment users can't create their own spaces. Like, you can go on Facebook and you can create a Facebook page. Oh. Users on Sword People can't create a space. Right. Right, only hosts can do that. So the thing to do, of course, is to appoint various people mm. who want to do it as hosts. Mm -hmm. And ideally, I would like to be able to pay people who are doing that kind of work or moderation or whatever. But the platform... It's just past the point where it is just about covering its monthly costs. Yeah, that's good. It is, it is, yeah, it's nice. It hasn't, it's only it hasn't, there for a couple of months. Yeah, it hasn't, it hasn't begun to recoup the costs I've already sunk into it. No. <laughs> <laughs> Including like several months of hosting fees before we actually launch, so yeah. that kind of stuff. Um, and some of your time, of course. Which yeah, there's a fair amount of that. There's quite a bit of that. Um, <laughs> So, but yeah, it's like, at least at this point, it's, it's still in the red, but it's, it's cash neutral, um, just about. Um, so that's good, but you know, it needs to be a lot more active, a lot more users and a lot more people paying for subscriptions before we can start even thinking about paying people to do, to do stuff like moderation. For the moment, I'm the only moderator. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not really true. A couple of, um, very nice people have volunteered to do moderating stuff, and but you know, so far there has been one um, 
one thing that has been reported for moderation. And that was, I reported my um, test account to make sure that the reporting system worked properly and that I knew how to do it. <laughs> so, so yeah, because I mean, it's, it's, it's small and it's not anonymous, so everyone is behaving themselves. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like pretty much the first interaction after I made it go live was um, Jessica Finley and I disagreeing about something. Mm-hmm. Right. But it was like, this, this is how colleagues should disagree with each other online. Yes. You know. Yes. You didn't threaten her or. <laughs> no. Or, or, you know, or, or suggest that the fact that you disagreed with me made her in some way a bad person or yeah. stupid or any of those other things. No. No. It was just, just like, okay, we have, we have different opinions about this particular aspect of this particular thing. Mm. Okay. That. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it is a nice place to spend time online. If you're a short person, which you're cleaning up. So you get paid to go there every now and then and do stuff. Yes, I'll go there if I have to. Yeah, well. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me today, Katie. It's been lovely seeing you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Katie. You can find the episode show notes at swordschool.com forward slash podcast, where you'll find transcriptions, photos, videos, and links for this episode. While you are there, you can sign up for my mailing list and I'll send you a free copy of my Sword Persons Care Package. This includes four ebooks and access to several of my online courses. Remember to go to swordpeople.com to join the only troll-free online community for sword people. And join us next week when I'll be talking to Jana Hausen, who is a historical fencer, PhD candidate, mother and spouse. So we talk about how she manages to balance her PhD work. And incidentally, it is a fascinating PhD idea. You have to tune in to find out what it is, though, because I'm not going to give any spoilers. And we talk a lot about how to make time for historical fencing when you have so much other stuff to be doing. You definitely don't want to miss that. So subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts from. And while you're there, please do rate the show. And if you have an extra minute, leave a review. It really does help. And of course, most importantly, if you've enjoyed this episode, please do share it with your friends. Share it wide, share it everywhere. The more people who listen, the more joy of historical martial arts we can spread through the world. So get on with it. Thanks for listening. I will see you next week. (laughs) 